I'm Kate Hills and I'm on a one-woman mission to save UK manufacturing. Welcome to my podcast where I invite you to join me each week as I shine a light on some of the very best British-made brands and UK manufacturers and offer advice to those that want to make in the UK. But before we get on to today's episode, I just want to tell you about an event that I've got coming up. If you're interested in discovering UK manufacturers and British-made brands from the fashion, textiles and homeware sectors, you should definitely come to our trade show, Make It British Live. Taking place on the 29th and 30th of May 2019 at the Business Design Centre in London, we've got over 200 exhibitors inspiring talks just like the ones on this podcast and it's the perfect place to network with others that want to see UK manufacturing thrive. Registration is now open and if you go to mib.live forward slash podcast VIP I've got a special something for you when you register. I hope to see you there and now let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to episode 39 of the Make It British podcast. On today's episode, I'm in conversation with Genevieve Sweeney, who is a knitwear designer who launched her own brand just a few years ago, and it's entirely made in the UK. It's an interesting interview where Genevieve tells some of the challenges that she has had with launching this brand, what she's had to learn along the way, her first experience of exhibiting at a trade show just after she left at university, how it's different designing for her own brand compared to designing to some of the big brands and retailers that she's worked for previously, and also tells us all about the lost art of hand intarsia, which she uses on many designs. She also says what she would have done differently had she been launching her brand today rather than a few years ago. There are quite a few images and a video that accompany this podcast, which I'm going to pop into the show notes at makeitbritish.co.uk forward slash 039. That's the numbers 039. Because there's a great video that Genevieve talks about, which shows the hand in Tarsia on her knitwear in action. And I think it's really worth seeing, as well as some other handy links for you and the opportunity to see Genevieve's Instagram, which you haven't already. She really is fantastic at the art of storytelling on her Instagram stories. Right, with no further ado, let's get on to the interview with Genevieve. Hello, Genevieve. Thank you very much for joining me on the podcast today. Hi, Kate. Thank you for having me. Uh, As you know, I have been a very big fan of your knitwear um, for quite a long time. Do you want to tell everyone how long how long ago you started your brand and how it all came about? Um, yeah, of course. Um, so I started my brand um, about four years ago now, um, in 2015. Um, I launched um, with women's wear, men's wear and accessories, and it's quite, a, I guess, a capsule collection of the two. Um, and before then, I guess it kind of took me about two years to kind of finally launch and kind of get everything together. Everything it really? Place. It took you two yeah. years to get it all um, designed and collection launched? It was mainly the, the designing of the collection of production was quite quick. It was mainly finding the factories. This was, I think, before your website. And it was, 
<laughs> it was really, really difficult to find any UK manufacturers or anyone that would like, you know, answer the email or the phone or, you know, the door to me. Um, so it did take quite a long time. And I mean, in those two years, I did kind of do some prototyping of people and just find who was the best match. And with, you know, the right minimums, because as a new brand starting up, I couldn't afford to do like 500 pieces in one go. Um, so yes, yeah, so it was about two years, but the final, you know, once I found the right people, that was quite quick. I think that all happened within like four months or something and a photo shoot. And then I launched um, in the August of 2015. So you're a knitwear designer by by trade, aren't you? Where, where did you train to do knitwear? Yeah, so I um, studied at Nottingham Trent University. They have a, an amazing four-year degree there. Um, and you kind of just learn everything and just immersed in this knitwear world. So you learn to use all the old DBAs and you learn some programming and you do um, a lot of, kind of trend and kind of swatching and things like that. Um, and you do a year in industry, which was kind of like the most, I guess, kind of like pivotal point, I guess, of me realising, you know, w- what direction I wanted my career to go in. So where did you do your, your year in industry? Which company did you go to? So I went to Sophie Stella um, in London for oh, six months. You? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, spent six months with her, which was just amazing. Like wonderful team, like the most creative atmosphere and um, and I was swatching, so making kind of miniature designs uh, to sell to high street and kind of premium brands. Um, and very quickly kind of worked out what my handwriting was and what kind of like sold quite well. So I did really well with like menswear, um, which led me to do my final collection in menswear. Um, and like hand knits used to always sell really well with like American Eagle and Abercrombie um, and Fitch, people like that. So it was great to kind of get that kind of like international overview of what kind of uh, designs and styles kind of each kind of continent went for. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. Um, and then after that, I did um, three months at Marks and Spencer's. I didn't know that. Was, did you really? Yeah. At yeah. Magic and Sparkle, as we used to call it. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was like completely different because obviously, you know, you there's so many people involved I think that's what I didn't realize how many people were involved in making a decision about a garment that is so <laughs> like, especially nowhere more than Marks and Spencer's is that true about how many people yeah. had to decide so were you a knitwear designer in the design department there so I was just like an assistant to the knitwear designer so there, there were two two knitwear designers and then me um so I was kind of like helping them you know with their kind of design boards and getting into like research and um generally kind of sitting in any meeting I possibly could to get more of an understanding. And there was a lot um, of meetings at Marks and Spencer's. Like all day. <laughs> Every day. A lot of um, meetings and great, a lot of sampling. Yeah, and a lot of great food as well, which is yeah. really good. And, <laughs> and then um, after that, I did um, probably about four months with New Look, which again, completely different. Um, less meetings, but really, really creative. They had like a spa week every um, season. And for the first, for this one week, which they called a spa week, you could, you got given a budget and you could do anything you wanted to like research and get inspired for the new season. And oh, then really? you'll come back together and talk about what you found, what you thought would be a good trend coming up. And it was amazing. Like, because, because you had this meeting, you know, you couldn't waste it. <laughs> you yeah. Had, you wanted to come back with all this, um, all this kind of like in, 
information and things like that. So, so that's great. how they got their design team to be as creative as possible. And then you came up with the ideas and then I suppose it was more sort of brought back to reality and commercial, what works work commercially, was it? Just Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then um, then you kind of, they're also kind of then speaking to sourcing um, manufacturers and um, and buyers would kind of take on some trends and um, do kind of their own buying and selecting as well. So it kind of is a good way of, I guess, bringing everyone to the same point and then um, yeah, starting so, out. So at what stage in all this did you think, actually, I don't want to be working for a big a big conglomerate like that and I want to start doing my own thing or working for a smaller brand again? Um, I think um, I always knew I wanted to set up my own brand but I didn't know how and after my um, graduate collection I was asked to show at um, Pure um, the Pure trade show oh, yeah. and I literally turned up with like a suitcase and my graduate collection and um, literally knew nothing about anything and I didn't know I, I was going to make it in my front room I did, had no idea what a wholesale price was or um, anything like that and um and luckily I was with two other designers that I think they had their brands for about four or five years and they were talking to me and I was like oh, I'm not ready for this no <laughs> to go and <laughs> gosh that was really <laughs> throwing you in at the deep end so they are invited you they offered you a free stand at the show but I wasn't it wasn't free it was discounted right but I just thought it was kind of in between I've just finished university and I thought and it, you know, it was quite hard to find a job, and so I thought I'll do it just because I'll learn something. And yeah. I learned a lot, um, yeah. but I learned a lot about what I didn't know. <laughs> that made sense. <laughs> Nothing like yeah, throw you in at the deep yeah. end, definitely. Um, so then I was like, I've got to go and work in the industry and um, and understand the um, understand the industry. And all my jobs in between, kind of university and starting my brand, have been kind of they've been quite different, but they have kind of really taught me how to you know run a collection how to price it how to wholesale and um you know and how to make it most importantly yeah exactly so without that had you sort of carried on from from your first experience when you left uni you probably the whole business wouldn't have been so successful without, yeah I without, all that, would be like. <laughs> without all that grounding you've now had yeah. so um so you set up four years ago and so you just took the plunge did you gave up your job and thought, right, I'm going to be Genevieve Sweeney, the knitwear brand now? Yeah, so I did it um, kind of quite quietly alongside another, my, my full-time job. And um, and then, like, my, my husband was made redundant. Um, and really just got married. And he, uh, my friend was running um, this kind of, like, startup um, entrepreneur course in Camden so I, I said like you know you really want to go there because he wanted to start his own business as well um, in the art world and so he was going to that and coming back with all these like you know, massive A1 sheets of the scribbles on diagrams <laughs> and after that like the t- second day of him coming back with all this I was like I think I'm ready like you know at this point I'd already had my business plan and I had a rough idea and I was like, I think I'm, you know, ready, I'm going to do it. You thought I can do and scribbles yeah. on big pieces of paper as well. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So literally four months later, I quit my job and launched my brand. So it, that's where it happened quite quickly. So what has been the hardest part? Um, the hardest part has been, I guess, it's, I guess how much you realise you don't 
until you run a, you know your own brand like I was fine with production and manufacturing but then realizing when you launch your website that no one knows about you yeah and kind of tackling that marketing and PR uh, it's been really enjoyable but it's like learning that but that is quite a um a slow process um I guess things like um like wholesaling with cash flow like that's definitely been the most challenging one like I've been stocked been very lucky to been stocked in some amazing retailers but when you know you have to place an order for yarn and you don't deliver six months later and then you get paid two or three months after that that was probably one of the most challenging times of um, having to deal with that especially as you work in cashmere don't you and cashmere um how much is it per kilo at the moment it's like yeah exactly so it's a yeah. lot of money you have to spend up front on yarn before you get paid exactly and then you have to pay the factories before like as soon as they delivered to, to me and then yeah and then yeah. three months later i'm paid um which but, i think that was definitely the, the hardest kind of thing to have to balance but you're uh, going back to the marketing and pr i mean you're great on instagram and i would imagine you pick up a lot of work through that do you i mean there's not a day goes by that you don't add to your instagram story i have noticed that yeah <laughs> it's true i'm yeah. slightly addicted and you look but, so um, glamorous every day when you're updating your uh, instagram story as well oh, no. do you pre-plan I, all of that in advance or is it all completely spontaneous it's all completely spontaneous so yeah i think plan anything I, I, I sometimes I sit down with a kind of marketing plan and I'm like oh I'll do this but more often than not it's just it's kind of just my daily life in the studio including uh, your kittens yeah exactly including my cats <laughs> <laughs> who, who do definitely star in my stories but I think because it is just it is just me um I guess that's probably why I do it you know every day and I really enjoy it and maybe that is maybe that comes across and is that where you've picked up customers? Is that the, one of the main places? Yeah, like I, I, a lot of kind of, yeah, like um, customers I do find on um, Instagram, but also buyers as well. They've always contacted me through Instagram, um, which is crazy because I don't know, like I have done a trade show before and, you know, there's so much money and then the next month uh, a buyer could text you or like message you on Instagram and you have a meeting with them. So yeah, that's... It, is, um, it is really powerful. But you've also got um, a very, you know, very strong product. Your design is is fantastic. How do you, you come up with all the, the new ideas and also make sure that they're commercial? Um, I think generally I have a, quite a commercial st- streak. Um, I was always told off about that at university. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but I guess I kind of I design you know, stuff that's wearable. And if I wouldn't wear it, then I don't think, I don't, I don't think it is wearable. Um, and it's quite the same with the menswear as well. Like, um, So, you know, like my inspiration will come from lots of various things like architecture, art. Um, it might just come from the yarn itself. Like I, I love the compositions of it and the textures. Um, but at the end of the day, if it's not wearable and you can't wear it, you know, eight different ways, then I don't find it, uh, commercial, I guess. I mean, I've certainly got tons of wear out of the jumper that I bought from you. Um, oh, I love that one. Yeah, I know. I need to invest in some more. Definitely, and they are. <laughs> that was also. So they are um, investment pieces. Your yeah, because no, they last forever. They're timeless, and I always get asked by people, both men and women, "Oh, where did you get your jumper from?" So it's amazing oh. that you introduced a menswear line as well. Yeah, 
Yeah, and actually the jumper you have was the first one I ever designed. Oh, was it? So, yeah, it was, yeah. Ah, so people... Design. Oh, well, I'll put a picture of it. I've got a picture of me wearing it somewhere. I'll put a picture of it in the show notes for this podcast so everyone can see. Oh, um, so that sort of those geometric designs, I always think are, are your handwriting, but that's all done with hand intarsia, isn't it? Which I know, uh, maybe you should explain to people how much of a slow and handcrafted process that is. Yeah, no, definitely. So the hand intarsia, I guess, is the technique that kind of started my brand and kind of my you know it's something that I really love and I'm quite passionate about the hand intarsia is um you it's you follow a, a graph a bit like paint by numbers and you lay the yarn onto the knitting machine um by hand and a jumper could take I guess my jump, jumpers average out so about I don't know like eight to 14 hours just to do Gosh, the front that's piece. incredible yeah and then the sleeves and the back need to be knitted and then they need to be washed and put together so and linked yeah and yeah so it, it i mean it's about kind of i guess six people that help do the finishing and everything and then one one hand in cars knitter um who's incredibly skilled um and he's when we um when i first launched i did a kind of brand video and we videoed him, and he was so fast that we had to look, we had to slow him down on the video because it looked like we were kind of faking it, and it was like really yeah. Oh, you have to send <laughs> me that copy of that video, and I will yeah. also put that in the show notes for the podcast. Uh, it's amazing to watch; it's so hypnotising. But, um, but yeah, he's very fast, and it still takes you know fourteen hours. Um, Gosh, so amazing. my jumper has taken 14 hours. Well, I kind of know that because I did knitwear at uh, college as well. So I, I do know how long that sort of process takes. It, when you think of it like that, your your knitwear is a bargain, really, when you think of that's that many hours that go into it. Yeah, and also like the cashmere itself. That's, yeah. Yeah, it's, that's, yeah it's, quite an ex- it's an expensive piece, but it, it is beautifully made and, um, you know, supports cottage industries which is yeah, so important yeah how many people do you think there are left in the uk that can do the hand intarsia technique i don't think very many no i don't like, think i so. probably know about five six yeah. and they're all between the age of like 50 and 70 um so i don't really know anyone i guess younger than that that can do it did they teach so, you quite scary. did they teach you intarsia at college uh, yes, yeah, and I used to do a lot actually at Sophie Stella, um, so it's probably where my kind of love of it started. Yeah. So I wonder if any there will be ever be people that will once these few people that are left that can still do it um, no longer work. You know whether there'll be a new younger generation of people who do start picking up on those sort of skills. We're certainly seeing it in other industries. Yeah, so it's definitely something I want to promote. But a lot of these um, this is work in their front room, so you know. It's, I'm trying to work out the balance of, you know, finding a student that wants to learn and you know, them going to come off at home <laughs> to do it. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Um, but for some great. people working at home who don't want to sit in front of a computer, being able to do that is is an ideal. It's flexible. It's like you say, you can work from home. Yeah, no, definitely. And they're, they're, you know, very well-paid jobs like um, um, hand and tarsier and linking, are, you know, are way above in a minimum wage and get like 20 25 pounds an hour really um, because it's so skilled so it's so skilled and it's in such high demand um so it's definitely like it's um you know it's, it's an amazing skill to have and i think you know there's, there's definitely job job prosperity you know? mm. 
So with your collection, you started with the hand in Tarsia, but there was because of the few people that can do that, you've diversified, haven't you, into other product areas. In particular, I love your socks that you do, which you do on a subscription, which yeah, I think is... I love my socks. Yeah, which, is, <laughs> which you also hand embroider. So what gave you the idea to, to bring those into the collection? Um, oh, I, I love the socks so much. They... Um, I have a, when I first launched, I um, started speaking to the framework knitters um, and uh, the livery company. And I met um, a gentleman who kind of became my mentor and would give me advice on, on different kind of business aspects. And he's a sock maker. And um, I kept on saying to him, I wanted to come visit. And um, he never really said anything and I came across this like beautiful yarn it's like cotton silk um with like a lurex with tiny bits of silk tweeds and it's so fine you could never make a jumper with it so I was yeah bugging him for about three <laughs> months asking if I could come and try it out and um one day he had um all his yarn was stuck in customs and he has to keep his um, machine going. Um, otherwise, it'd take quite a long time to set up. Mm. So he said, if he called me up in the morning and said, like, if you can get here by lunchtime, I'll teach you how to make the socks. Oh, I literally, wow. like, <laughs> threw my yarn in the car and drove up there. And um, yeah, gave, was given this amazing masterclass of um, sock manufacturing. And I didn't realise how much went into it. Like, with the, you know, the stretch, the recovery, the tension, um, especially when you're... Um, yeah, kind of using different compositions and uh, fabric qualities. Do you put different so, yarn into the heel and the toe to strengthen it? Yes, yeah, um, yeah, I do. And, you know, I do kind of like quite woolly ones and more summery cotton ones, so they're quite a mixture. But, um, yeah, they had great kind of reaction the first month of me um, doing them. So it's grown and grown and grown. And, um, yeah, now I kind of do lots of different patterns and everything. And, yeah, I really love kind of going there and... So you still make all, so all the socks, anyone buys a Genevieve Sweeney sock, they're actually handmade by you. So you just take over the machine at this chap's factory. Um, well, not so much anymore. So I do all the ones in the subscription. I often will go up there and run the kind of, run the colours. Yeah. Um, so they become quite organic. So then they're quite unique colours. But the ones that are in stores and um, online, not on the subscription. They'll um, the factory will do the production. Right, and then you do all the hand embroidery, so people can have their initials on. Yes, yeah, I do. Yeah, which takes me a little while, but it's um, it's quite a nice, enjoyable thing to like put a podcast on and do some hand embroidery. And it's a nice touch as well. It's a nice personal, bespoke thing to be able to add to the products, isn't it, and to add to the collection? Yeah, no, definitely. And I, I did try um, having them made kind of industrially but you really lost the kind of joy of the fabric and it's quite hard to see the initials so yeah the, I thought the hand embroidery was a much nicer addition. And one other thing as well that I've noticed you've done I don't know whether you're still doing them is your star sign t-shirts yeah have you still got those in the collection? Um, yeah I've still got a few um, I'm working on kind of new t-shirts at the moment but um, yeah, the, the Zodiac collection was a collaboration I did with a British um, illustrator, um, and I love like horoscopes and things like that. So it was, um, and they're quite kind of, I guess, a kind of dark twist to the um, to the signs, which is quite nice. Excellent. So, um, so that was meant finding yet a different type of manufacturer. Yes. Yeah. Completely different. Um, I guess because this time it was cut and sew. Um, yeah, a different. Um, 
way of knitting the fabric. Um, yeah, but also really enjoyable and also a nice way of kind of showing that knitted products aren't just you know a, a wool jumper. And then it is socks, it is t-shirts, and there's so many different products that um, can be made out of, the, out of the technique. So what does that mean? Is What else is in the pipeline then, can you say? Um, <laughs> More kind of loungewear, homeware. Oh, really? Yeah, Ooh. which I'm really excited on. That's what I'm working at the moment, which is quite crazy when it's like so hot outside. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, exactly. Um, yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, well, I'll look out for those then, definitely. Um, so if someone else, because I get people contacting me all the time and they're looking to set up a knitwear brand, sometimes they've got experience like you as a designer first. Sometimes they have just got an idea and they're starting from scratch. Um what advice would you give to someone who was in that position? What would you have done differently if you'd have started over again? Um, I think, um, well, I guess now that, you know, your platform is there and the Make It British um, trade show, like that, if that was around when you know, I first started, it would have just been incredible because having that, you know, meeting some, meeting a manufacturer and having that face-to-face conversation is just so like invaluable um and kind of getting to know if you kind of click i guess in a way because in in a strange way you can't it does become a slight relationship like you're working with them um and um so i definitely say you know meet the people that you would like to work with yeah i couldn't agree with more especially if you do know how to you know how to you know make a garment or if you don't know um and then um, I guess if, if you've never, kind of, if you don't really know anything about knitwear, I guess trying to find as much help as you can. Like I, you know, I met with the wool men livery and the framework knitters livery and um, meeting people with kind of expertise that have done this for like 40 years. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. Like I guess that kind of reaching out because I guess, you, you know, you might be quite unlucky and find a factory that doesn't give you the support that you need, like with the grading and um, talking about different yarn types and things like that. Um, so yeah, I guess that kind of networking and asking for help, I guess, is the, the main one. And there's also, I mean, I know you've been to Stoll before, haven't you? The machine machinery, the knitting machinery company yes. in um, Leicester. Have you been there and used their sort of design service? They've got a, a kind of, I suppose, mini kind of production space there, haven't they? Yeah, no, I do a lot of, um, my, I guess, my most creative pieces. Um, with them which um, I love doing because you can go there and try out lots of different things and um, I guess it's a really good chance of experimenting with a really well-trained technician and kind of trying out different things which I guess when you're in a factory and you're doing you know, 100 pieces um, you know you, you don't have that opportunity to um, I guess chance the design um, but yeah, and they're so amazing um, and really, yeah, offer great support as well. Brilliant. Okay. Well, I'll put also put the link for where people can find them as well because that I think that's a, a really worthwhile service that they mm. that they offer there. Okay. Well, well um, have you got anything else that you want to tell me that's that's coming up with Genevieve Sweeney? I guess. Well, I'm working on a kind of bigger, um, quite exciting collection for autumn. Um, with lots of kind of new products, I'm yeah, really excited about that. So when um, will that all? When will that launch? Uh, that will be kind of like end of August time. Um, well, yeah. As someone who works in knitwear, who's also worked 
for the high street. What do you think about the fact that the high street brings its knitwear out in, well, June, July, and yet it doesn't actually really get hot until October? What What's the solution I, to that? I, I've never really understood it, to be honest, um, especially when like the best ones for coats come out in August and, um, and then the, you can't find a coat in like November. Um, I've never really understood it, but I, I guess because I'm, like a small brand I can be quite reactive to the weather so um and because I offer lots of different weights I wouldn't you know so much launch my heavier pieces until like October November time yeah because um, that's one of always one of the challenges isn't it if you're a knitwear brand of how you keep all your factories busy all the way throughout the year and that you're not just a seasonal brand yeah no definitely and also like I, I sell internationally so I you know I do sell to Australia so when we're you know, um, their seasons are the opposite to ours. So I do have to have some sort of, you know, winter offering around that time as well. But, um, but yeah, I guess, with the, I guess with the kind of, you know, crazy changing weather, maybe the high street needs to, you know, really look at not delivering, um, because it makes High it winter goods at that time of year. Yeah. I know because then what happens? I mean, I know from being a buyer myself, they they put knitwear in the stores in July, and then actually, if we have a really hot end of summer, and they're panicking because they've got too much knitwear left to sell before Christmas, then they put it all in the sale. In like the sale seems to get earlier every every year, doesn't it? Sort of end of September, yeah. which obviously affects the smaller brands like yourself who have only you know trying to launch knitwear at the right time when people want to wear it, and then. If someone wants to buy a piece of knitwear, they're finding that all the retailers are on sale and then they're asking why the brands are on full price. Exactly, yeah. It's really, it is quite a hard um, conversation yeah, to have with um, customers as well. And I will have a lot of customers that might message me around Christmas time asking if I'm doing a January sale. Oh, gosh, and, right, yeah. And you're kind of like, well, no, I'm, I'm not because, because, you know, I'm a small independent brand or... Um, you know, these are my core pieces and I guess it's now expected of it's such an expected thing, isn't it? And especially like Black Friday and things like that. Um, yeah, and also January and February are usually the most cold months anyway. It's when you wear the most of your knitwear. So Exactly. Yeah. So so to go on sale as a knitwear, I think the I think the retail space is changing loads at the moment and partly by you know brands like yourself who are disrupting it, selling things through platforms like Instagram or and not needing to do the Black Friday sales. We've had so many guests on this podcast that have said this, you know, I'm not going to do Black Friday. I'm not doing discounting. I charge what my product is worth all year round. So I don't need to do a sale. Exactly, yeah. And this is the, well, last year was the first year I didn't um, take part in Black Friday. And Brilliant. I probably had a better year without it. Fantastic. <laughs> period without it, yeah. Which is, I guess, also in the people that, you know, have thoughts about this and, and do care about it do go and support you know the independent brands and um, yeah exactly which is, yeah, which is amazing so if people want to where can people go to find you Genevieve if they want to support your brand they want to see what your knitwear and your socks look like what's yeah, the best place but, uh, to find you so my website is www.genevievesweeney.com um, and I'm also on Instagram as Genevieve Sweeney Brilliant. So if anyone wants to check out um, all the lovely pictures of your idyllic life making knitwear and hanging out with two extremely cute fluffy kittens. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the kittens. It's all about the kittens. Brilliant. On that note, Genevieve, thank you very much. You've been thank a brilliant you very much guest. For me. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. 
Thank you for listening to the Make It British podcast. I make an episode every Tuesday and Friday, plus there's also bonus episodes occasionally. So don't forget to subscribe in your favourite podcast app so that you get notified every time a new episode goes live. And if you enjoyed the show, I would really love it if you left me just a little review on iTunes. The more reviews this podcast receives, the more people will discover it and the more we can spread the word about making in the UK. Thanks once again for listening to the Make It British podcast. Bye bye.